Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 29, verse 11. Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. Now, we imagine at this point that uh, Rachel is relatively young, and uh, she runs off to tell dad. So it came about when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, so it's his nephew, that he ran. Everybody's running around. He ran to meet him, and he embraced him and kissed him. Everybody's running, everybody's kissing and he brought him into, the ho- into his house, and then he related to Laban all these things. And so all of a sudden, dad comes, and he's excited. And we might wonder, why is Laban so excited that Jacob has arrived? Do you remember when Abraham's servant went to look for a bride for Isaac, he came to this same place. And he had been praying, and he said, if, if the girl who comes and she's willing to water the camels, that'll be a sign, Lord, that she's the gal that my... Uh, my servant uh, has sent me for his son, and, and this will be the sign, and she did just that. And when he got to the house, he made this proposition. He said, look, my master's looking for a bride, and I think she's it, and he told the story, and the family said, yeah, how can we argue with it? This must be from God. And he gave gifts to the mother, and the Bible says, and the brother, gifts of gold and all kinds of gifts. And when Laban heard that another kid had traveled from this same tent, guess what Laban was probably thinking? Aha! We struck it rich once. Another kid's back, and I bet you he's looking for a bride, and I got two daughters, and this cha-ching! Yeah! Probably seeing dollar signs. Now, some of you are saying, boy, you're, you're being hard on Laban, Pastor Michael. You're going to find out about Laban. Laban is not a high upstanding citizen. He's in it for me. And Jacob is about to meet his match because Jacob had been in it for him as well, for himself. And Laban said to him, surely you are bone of my bone. You are my bone and my flesh, referencing Genesis 2.23. And he stayed with him a month. One, uh, I think it's Gordon Wenham said that he sees in verse 14 a grudging admission by Laban that Jacob had finally convinced him that he was family and he takes it like this. Verse 14, okay, you are my nephew. And can you repeat it one more time? You don't have any money? That kind of thing. Because Laban is thinking in ancient terms, and in ancient terms, if a suitor came uh, from a distance that he was probably looking for a bride, and what that meant for the dad of the daughter was a dowry. And historians tell us that the dowry, the bride price in those days was roughly equivalent to the price that you would pay for a home today. It's a very significant amount of money or what you would get out of it, whether it was actual money or flocks or gifts or that kind of thing. And so he's kind of saying, okay, you're my nephew, okay? Uh, and he had him stay with a, for a month. Now, if you ever have somebody stay at your house for a month, you know, anyway, I'm not even gonna comment, but, <laughs> but a month, anyway, I don't even know what to say about that. But anyway, let's just keep going, verse 15. So Laban said to Jacob, 
Because you are my relative, should you therefore, <laughs> notice this, serve me for nothing? Uh, I didn't know, I don't know if you knew this, but you're my servant now. Tell me, what shall your wages be? So Uncle Laban puts it to Jacob. They're probably having some, some cereal, probably some Cocoa Puffs early in the morning. And he says, hey, uh, let's talk about what you're going to be doing around here. Let's talk about your wages since you're going to be serving me now. Because you, you, pro- you, know, you probably came with nothing. Should you serve me for nothing? What should it be? And so they had a little negotiation. And Laban had two daughters, 16. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. We've already been introduced to Rachel. Now we meet Leah. Now Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now we're going to see a distinction between the two sisters. Leah is the older, Rachel is the younger. And we have this description that Leah's eyes are weak. Now, for any of you who wear glasses, we might immediately take it this way. I have a confession to make. I was making fun of people who had to wear those readers. Anybody in the room? You got to do those readers? All right. Those of you who have a, uh, you know, a look like, what are they talking about? You, you'll find out. And they sell them at the, you know, my wife has a pair of readers everywhere. I think there's about 75 pairs in the house. They're hung on lamps, refrigerators, that kind of thing. I'm like, you have these readers everywhere. What's, what's going on? And you can usually tell when someone needs a reader, pair of glasses, when they start doing this with the menu at the restaurant. Right? So then it happened. One day my wife noticed that I was moving books farther and farther away, and she went, hey, try these. And I went, and then I had to make the confession. I had to repent in sackcloth and ashes. It was, anyway. Okay, that's not what I think this means, though. <laughs> Leah's eyes being weak is a Hebrew word that means tender, delicate, or weak. And there are people who say, scholars who say, that her eyes lacked sparkle. I guess in the ancient East, a sparkle in the eye was a big deal to them. And so that's kind of how they measured things, and, and that may be what's going on here. Leah is contrast, contrasted with her sister, and if you look up Leah's name, Leah's name either means weary or wild cow. It could mean either. <laughs> now, now, hold on. Now, I know you guys know me pretty well by now. And some of you think I just made a joke, that it really doesn't mean wild cow, but actually it does. If you look it up in a lexicon, that's either what it could mean. She started wild cow ice cream after this. I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, that was a joke. The wild cow is not. That's actually what her name means. So, so we move on. Now, Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you, talking to his uncle, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. He was obviously attracted to her. In fact, there are many people who believe that when he first saw her, it was love at first sight. Now, I don't know how many of you believe in love at first sight. Um, how many of you? Raise up your hand. Do you believe it? All right, we need to talk afterwards. So, No, I do believe the Lord can do that. 
And I believe this is probably one example. Some people say we're reading too much into it. I'm not sure. I think that this is a case that he loved her from the very beginning. He offers to work seven years for her. Now, I'm told that if you do some of the calculations and you try to figure out the dowry or the bride price, that the typical dowry, if you had nothing and you just had to work basically for your future father-in-law, was about three years, three to four at the most. So what Jacob is offering is a double dowry. He's offering twice for Rachel's hand. He's saying, okay, future dad-in-law, I will work double. I'll do the double dowry. I'll work seven years for her. That's how much I love her. And Laban said, well, verse 19, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So there's an official negotiation going on, and they've agreed. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And here's one of the beautiful love uh, scriptures. I think this is, this is a statement about love. I think this, you can't say it any more beautiful than this. Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Oh, wouldn't it be neat if we could recapture that kind of love in our society? Maybe some of you have experienced that kind of love. Maybe some of you need to recapture that kind of love. Maybe, you know, for some of you, you can make a spiritual application, and you need to return to your first love because serving the Lord for you in the past was, was a great privilege. It wasn't, it wasn't a burden for you to serve the Lord, but maybe it's become burdensome for you and maybe it's because you've left your first love. But for Jacob, serving in seven years, folks, that's a long time. Seven years was still seven years. But for Jacob, it seemed to him to go by fast because he loved her so much. And you know, we've been brought with the price, and the Bible tells us we've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We haven't been bought with perishable things like silver and gold from our aimless conduct inherited from our forefathers, but we were, we were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb without spot, without blemish. That's 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. You and I were bought with a dowry. You and I were purchased with a, with a bride price. And it wasn't seven years of working on a farm. And it wasn't a, a magnitude of money that might meet the price of a home today. You know what you were purchased with? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. You know how much he loved you? He loved you so much he laid down his life for you. He died that you might be his bride. That's an incredible love. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Galatians 2.20 says, Paul, Paul says that Christ loved me and he gave himself up for me. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame, but he did it for you and he did it for love. And so the Bible says that love is patient. 1 Corinthians 13.4, love is Kind And Jacob waited seven years for his bride. You know, in our instant gratification society today, we can barely wait seven minutes for stuff. We can barely wait seven days. And we are told by this society, and young people, please hear me well, we are told by this society that you can't wait to be intimate with your future spouse until you're married. 
Or uh, you can't wait until you're married, so you've got to have sex now. So they want to hand out condoms, and they, and they don't think that you can make it. They don't give you enough credit. They don't think that you can be abstinent or be sexually pure. So this society is built on a lie. They argue that you must live with somebody before you can really be sure if you want to marry them. That's a lie. And Jacob waited, get this, seven years. And it's going to be, become very clear from this context, from this particular text, that Jacob didn't touch her that whole time. He did, not, he did not make love with her. He did not really go near her. He was in a, a betrothal period, if you like, but he did not touch her. In that whole seven years, he was faithful to his commitment because marriage is sacred. Marriage is something that God has thought up. And yes, God does want us to enjoy the intimacy of that relationship, but he wants us to enjoy it within the context of marriage. And so Jacob waited. And Jacob, then finally, verse 21, said to Laban, give me my wife. This is the language of grievance, by the way, in verse 21. Because when the seven years had passed, and they seemed to him but a few days, it seems like it should have been Laban that said, he probably should have had the calendar marked in the tent. Okay, we're going to have a wedding on this day. This is the end of the seven years. All right, you've done well, son. But no, Jacob had to go to Laban and say, Ah, uh, Uncle, <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed the calendar, but uh, we've hit the seven-year mark here. Can I have my bride now? And I think that there's implied in this language that Uncle Laban is trying to squeeze everything he can squeeze out of Jacob. Oh, really? Oh, it's been seven years? Oh, I, I didn't realize it. You ever had a boss like that? I've worked 67 hours this week. You're paying me for 40. Oh, you've been here? I didn't notice that was you when I left. <laughs> Went home. So he says, look, give me my wife. My time is completed that I may go into her. So it's time for us to consummate this relationship. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, I will say this to you, that we've all made our mistakes, probably many of us in this room, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I didn't make my share of mistakes either. In fact, before I came to Christ, and even in the first few years after I came to Christ, I made my share of mistakes. So I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I'm preaching down at you. I rest in the grace of God because I did a ton of things the wrong way. So I don't want to put a trip on any of you, but I, here's what I want to do now. Now that I know the Lord and now that Christ is being formed in me, I want to be a man of honor. And sometimes my flesh doesn't want me to be. My flesh says, oh, it's okay. Everybody else is doing it. And I'm like, no, I want to honor God. So look, if you've made mistakes, welcome <laughs> to, to my club. Been there. But I tell you what, you can't change tomorrow. I mean, you can't change yesterday. You can't change it. Everybody, you need to hear that. You can't change yesterday. You can't control tomorrow. 
but you can live for Christ now. And so many of us, we get stuck in regret. And we get stuck in these feelings like, I'm not worth anything to the Lord. Look, if the Lord was using people based upon performance, I'm gonna go sit down. And somebody else should be up here. But no, God uses broken vessels. People have made their share of mistakes. And Jacob is a great example of that. We're we're studying a guy who's definitely a conniver. He's a deceiver. And yet God is being gracious to him. So he says, look, it's time. And Laban gathered, verse 22, all the men of the place, and he made a feast. This was typical in ancient weddings. They would have a legal engagement, usually a year, but of course this is seven years he had to wait. And uh, then they would, they would have a public ceremony. They would, they would have a public ceremony to honor the betrothal. Then they would have a wedding banquet. And the wedding banquet actually would often last a week, seven days, to have a wedding reception. Pretty cool, huh? You know, that's, that's a lot different than we do. We, we do a couple hours at a, at a party after a wedding. We're like, oh, what time is it, honey? Uh, <laughs> no, man, they knew how to party. And, and, and they would have a week-long party. And at the end of the first day, this is my understanding of the custom, at the end of the first day of the celebration, the wedding, the uh, couple would consummate the marriage. And it would be all part of what they did. And the woman would often be dressed in a veil. And she would be brought to him, and often weddings were, they occurred at night. And notice the emphasis here on the men. It seemed like the men had gathered. I don't know where the women were, but um, they're having this banquet, and uh, there's a lot of partying going on. I'm sure a lot of making merry. Wine was part of that culture. I'm sure they're probably sharing in some wine. Now, it came about, verse 23, in the evening that he, Uncle Laban, took his daughter, who? Leah. And he brought her to him, and Jacob went into her. Now, Uncle Laban pulled what's called the old switcheroo. (laughs) He switched one daughter for the other. Now, some people say, now, wait a minute. If, If Uncle Laban pulled the old switcheroo, one's named Ulam, the other one's named Wild Cow. Come on. (laughs) Now, let's not push that too far. We do know that, Ray, we know that Leah's eyes were weak and, and we know there's a contrast between the two, but they're probably in similar size. Maybe their voices, you know how siblings' voices sound pretty close. And she probably had a veil on, that's what we would understand. It was nighttime and Jacob probably had been doing his share of making merry. And so, you know, all of a sudden, here comes this bride and get this, it's, it's uh I would just say it's, it's probable, if not uh, right on the money, that she was probably dressed in Rachel's clothing and perfume. In other words, Uncle Laban probably dressed up Leah to look like Rachel. Sound familiar? There was another parent who told Jacob to put on the fur so that dad would believe that he was Esau when he was really Jacob, and all of a sudden, the old switcheroo, what, what is it, what comes around, goes around, goes around, comes around, however you say it. Now, no karma. <laughs> We've talked about that. In the Bible, it's sowing and reaping, okay? 
I know what you were saying, Michelle. Sorry. <laughs> Sowing and reaping. What he had done earlier came back to bite him. And she got dressed up in the perfume and everything. And, and I wonder where Rachel was at this time. She locked in some room trying to beat the door down. This is like sibling soap opera. You know, this is like the stuff of movies here. But it's probably that in that culture, she bowed to the will of her father. Even though she knew that the whole thing was a game, it was all manipulation and the, you know, the chickens had come home to roost in the life of Jacob. Laban also gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. That was tradition that they would do as well if there were maids to be given. And so it came about in the morning that behold, <laughs> so, so Jacob, Jacob wakes up and you might be thinking, well, did they talk at all? Well, there's probably some hushed whispers and that kind of thing. Who knows? But here's what we do know. When he woke up in the morning, he went, uh-oh. <laughs> he took a couple aspirin and then took another look. <laughs> What's happened here? She's not the one I worked seven years for. That's Leah. And he said to Laban, you can hear, probably see him running out of the tent. Father-in-law's having eggs. And he says, what is this that you have done to me, 25? Was it not for Rachel? Did I not articulate the name of the daughter that I wanted to marry, that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Do you think he had a moment of realization as he spoke those words? Because the words are really similar to what Esau said to Jacob. Oh, he has supplanted me these two times. He's a deceiver. How horrible our sins look when someone else is doing them to us. You see, we've heard the old saying, how horrible our sins look when someone else is committing them. But when someone else is committing them on us, it's even worse. And I wonder if there was a moment of both irony and epiphany for Jacob. Like, dude, do you realize what's just happened here? What you did has come back on you. Uncle Laban just deceived you. Of course, in Esau's case, when Jacob deceived Esau, Esau was kind of like almost ambivalent about the birthright and the blessing. He was a man of the flesh. He didn't really seem to care a whole lot until he knew what he was going to lose. But Jacob's love for Rachel was so deep that the pain of this deception had to be even deeper. And he had to be deeply wounded. If any of you have ever been deceived by a loved one, you know the pain you know how bad it feels when you realize you've been duped, but then if you have to come in touch with some feelings that you've done the same in your own past. And speaking of clothing and manipulation, you know that later when Jacob 
uh, has the 12 sons and all these ladies we're about to meet are gonna be involved in giving offspring to Jacob. There's gonna be four, two wives and two maids that actually give offspring to Jacob. And we'll talk about that in a future study. But later on in his life, he has a favorite son and the favorite son is Joseph. And his own sons come and they put some blood on his coat of many colors and they use garments and, and I think it's goat's blood there to deceive their dad later on in his life. Even his own sons do the same thing. And so you, you can see how these patterns can develop and how um, sometimes there's what we might call poetic retribution, poetic uh, things that happen in life. There's a new covenant in Christ's blood, and it is driven by the love of God. But yet, you must respond to that covenant. You must take the cup, put it to your lips, and drink from it. And that's how you become a Christian, is you say yes to Christ, you repent of your sin, and you receive his invitation, you receive his proposal, you receive his love for you. Don't reject his love. Come into that new covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. You might be asking, well, Pastor Michael, how do you do that? You simply open your heart to the Lord Jesus. You say yes to him. You turn from doing it your own way and you enter into that covenant through uh, Jesus Christ the Son and you are right with the Father. If you want to do that right now, just say something like this. Pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I repent of it. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Please save me. Give me a new heart and a new start. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead, and I'm going to trust you and you alone for my salvation right now. And, and friends, you know, it's not just about a sinner's prayer. It's also about making a commitment to follow Christ as Lord of your life. And I pray that you would do that today. If you need help with that, reach out to us, please, at livingtruthradio.org. That's livingtruthradio.org. Use the contact form. Let us know that you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ today. Let us know how we can pray for you, where you listen, what your name is. We would love to hear from you, and we really do value uh, when you get in touch with us. So please do so today at livingtruthradio.org. On behalf of Andy Chapel and Oscar Santa Cruz, this is Pastor Michael Lance. We'll catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. Hey folks, when you're doing radio, you know, it's a little hard to tell sometimes who's listening. And we would really like to know if the program's been a blessing to you and has impacted your life. And here's how you can get word to us. Go to livingtruthradio.org livingtruthradio.org and in the contact form let us know that you're listening let us know who you are what station you listen on how the programs impacted your life and even how we can pray for you that'd be a great blessing to us and if there's something that you want to put there that we can use to encourage other radio listeners to say hey Pastor Michael this is how the programs impacted me and you are welcome to use this to uh, encourage other radio listeners so that'd be a blessing to us go to livingtruthradio.org in the contact form just let us know who you are. Thank you so much. We appreciate you listening. Pray for us. Tell a friend about what you're hearing on this broadcast. And we'll catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. 
Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.